here's what we have. We've been telling everybody that there is no reason to actually gather information manually or see people face to face. You really can grab their information from the cloud and make decisions based on that. And the software that we have, the platform can be adopted in eight weeks. Now, I know that doesn't address, that's no emergency measures meeting that can be adopted within a 24 hour period, but truly financial institutions could be in the place to offer loans and responsibly in eight weeks if they wanted to. We are looking at ways to make that even cheaper to onboard. One thing we're considering, for example, is if a financial institution wants to do due diligence, we're gonna offer them the lead qualification for free to make the software easier, to make it something they don't have to put through approvals. We are also tying it to the revenue they're bringing in. So we have some incredible financial institutions that are offering reduced fees to their clients and we're taking their lead and doing the same. Hi everyone, and welcome back to M4Edge. Our guest today is Karen Moynihan, founder and CEO of Boss Insights. Our conversation with Karen is especially timely as we recorded this podcast on Monday, March 16th. Just the day before, Sunday, March 15th, the US Fed held an emergency meeting and announced a set of monetary policy measures to support the economy during the coronavirus crisis. The measures are strongly focused on the need to keep lending flowing to both businesses and individuals to help them through what we all hope will be just a temporary period of serious economic difficulty. This is where Karen comes in. Boss Insights has developed a set of tech applications and solutions to make lending faster, cheaper and better. In a nutshell, Boss Insights helps lenders like banks and credit unions get fast and easy access to relevant data from the businesses that are borrowing from them or would like to borrow from them. And this is especially relevant for private companies which don't have the same reporting requirements as publicly listed companies on the stock market. With this data, Boss Insights can help banks understand their clients better. This means banks can have a better assessment of the risk of the loans they make, but also of their customers' evolving needs. For example, lenders can better anticipate whether a business will need foreign exchange services or other financial services to manage its employees or its supply chain. The current crisis highlights how important it is for lenders to have a better real-time understanding of their customers. The extreme social distancing measures adopted in the US and in some European countries will have a very negative impact on some sectors of the economy, and small businesses will be hit especially hard. The Fed has emphasized that banks should keep lending to help their customers through this difficult period. For banks, then, it becomes crucial to be able to understand which customers face only a temporary disruption because of the shock and which ones instead might have a more structural problem in their business model, because banks need to focus their help on those businesses that can then stand on their own feet once the crisis is over. Karen also talks about how the fintech revolution is transforming the financial sector, the role of artificial intelligence, and more. It's a great conversation on the prospects of finance and lending, not just through this crisis, but beyond it and well into the future. Enjoy the episode, share it with friends and colleagues, and if you can spare a few minutes, please do write us a review on iTunes. Thanks for being curious, and stay safe during this difficult time. 
Karen Moynihan of Boss Insights. Welcome to N4 Edge. Hey, it's great to be here. So excited to be chatting, Michael. Great to have you here. Marco, kick us off. So, Karen, the, the first question, this is our uh, icebreaker. What are you doing and why in the world are you doing it? Metaphysically or specifically? <laughs> specifically uh, refer to I, your I, company. I told you she'd be a fun interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, what we are doing is consider us like a pipeline, but instead of flowing hard resources, we're flowing information. And we do that so that the people who have money, which are the banks, the credit unions, the alternative lenders, can give it to the businesses who need it. So anywhere from a small and medium business up to a commercial business, think like loan sizes from $5,000 to $50 million. Most of the process for that at the moment has been very traditional, meaning that companies will go and grab their information from their accounting software, make it into financial software so they can send it to the people they're asking for money, um, and then they deconstruct it twice. And that's, we, we just go right to the source and we flow that information in real time. So Boss Insights accelerates the flow of capital so that loans can be processed in minutes, not months. That's part of what we do. So that, that, that's excellent. And uh, I, I also understand that you have an emphasis on uh, how you put it on the website, the underserved business market. So what you do actually is especially useful, I imagine, for small and medium enterprises uh, looking, for, looking for credit on the market. Is that fair? It's, we, there's so many, hmm, how should I? A lot of people have tried to tackle this problem by looking at faster and cheaper, meaning how do you process these loans faster? And that's what they're doing. We're looking at faster, cheaper, and better. You know that example of the triangle? I'm drawing as though people listening to a podcast <laughs> But there's that triangle. You can only have two out of three. We're saying, no, it's not true. You can have three out of three. With access to more information on these companies than ever before, you can not just process loans faster, but you can process them better. And this is where the inclusion part comes in. If you know more about a company, not just their financial information, but their operations, their sales, who their management team is, and not because they're telling you in a phone call, but because you have access to data that shows it, then you can lend to people that other people will have to say no to because their risk model won't tolerate it. And this is true at the small and medium business level. But even when I was a commercial banker, there were a lot of businesses that were in the commercial groups, meaning they were asking for loans above $250,000 up to $50 million, and they still had issues when loans were being processed only by looking at financials. Now, we've split these two things up. You can have the faster and cheaper without the better, or you can have them both. It really is up to the lender what they would like to do. That's excellent. And this idea of faster, cheaper, and better is especially topical. So we're recording this podcast on March 16th. Yesterday, Sunday, March 15th, the U.S. Federal Reserve held an emergency meeting. Then they had a press conference on a Sunday where they announced a whole range of measures to support the economy during this coronavirus outbreak. And a lot of the emphasis on these measures was exactly on trying to help keep the flow of credit coming to companies and to businesses. There was an emphasis, for example, on regulatory forbearance. There was a call on the credit institutions to keep the credit flowing. 
help the economy. So given this, uh, actually, we're very interested in hearing your take, your perspective on this, uh, including on the extent to which these advances in technology that make credit provision faster, cheaper, and better can help us in these circumstances, in this crisis situation today and beyond as we go forward. That's, that's a really good point. I'm, I was smiling as you were talking about it because on Thursday last week, I was asked to comment on how fintechs are going to respond to the threat of COVID-19. And I answered with a very, entrepreneurs are already scrappy. We're all in this room, understand what it takes to get a business going. This is just another challenge. And then the world proceeded to shut down over the next 48 hours. So I sent to that journalist all the, you know, one article that showed a model and the publications. There are many publications that are doing a good job of promoting the banks and the credit unions that are offering interest-free loans, for example. So there are people who are coming to the table with, we understand that this is going to be very difficult. Nobody was planning this in advance and we're coming to the table. Boss Insights is also looking at a way to do that. Here's what we have. We've been telling everybody that there is no reason to actually gather information manually or see people face to face. You really can grab their information from the cloud and make decisions based on that. What we're now, and, and the software that we have, the platform can be adopted in eight weeks. Now, I know that doesn't address, that's no emergency measures meeting that can be adopted within a 24-hour period, but truly, financial institutions could be in the place to offer loans and responsibly in eight weeks if they wanted to. We are looking at ways to make that even cheaper to onboard so that if, if a financial, one thing we're considering, for example, is if a financial institution wants to do due diligence, we're going to offer them the lead qualification for free to make the software easier, to make it something they don't have to put through approvals. We are also tying it to the revenue they're bringing in. So we have some incredible financial institutions that are offering reduced fees to their clients and we're taking their lead and doing the same. Really interesting. I, f yeah. I feel like there's something I, I need to say about financial contagion, but I can't quite get the don't, it's a don't. joke, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's really unprecedented times, right? It we is all totally are unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah. So, Karen, one of the reasons that attracted us to your company um, is that you know part of our own mission at M4 Edge is to focus on companies with tech we think are changing the way the economy functions. So, you guys are really in you know you're in our bullseye not just in our, our wheelhouse. Um, and so AI is at the center of how you're accelerating the, uh, the financial market workings. Um, tell us, first of all, how did you see the need for acceleration? You know, how did you see that market need? How did you find it? And what is the AI actually doing in this case? Okay, so we saw the need back in 2013, 2014. And the we in this case is really the royal we. It's the CTO of Boss Insights that saw the need. What's interesting about that is he wasn't working in financial services at all. He was working in big tech. So here's a person who started coding when he was 14, started his first tech company at 18, sold it in his late 20s to move to a bigger economy. He comes from New Zealand. He had an accelerated life, you're saying. He, yeah, and very understated and quietly so. He then accelerated or scaled three companies. And the first was 
a startup funded over 30 million by Georgian partners. And then when he built a tech stack to support that company growing from three to 300 people, the recruiters at Amazon noticed that. Hmm. It was at Amazon when they in 2013 and 2014 said to him, you know, we'd really like to figure out how to scale our shipment. We all know how Amazon is serving us. This is actually really timely for a couple of reasons right now. One, Amazon is going into lending. Two, I think all three of us are probably using Amazon to get through this particular crunch time. Right. So he said to me, you know, Amazon has the bandwidth and the technical capability and the skill set to figure out how a business could understand what they're really doing and act on it efficiently. But most businesses, SMBs, all the way up to commercial, people who are earning, let's say, $50 million, they can't, they don't have the bandwidth to truly understand what they're doing. And so I see a SaaS opportunity. That was the original origin of Boston Sites. And that's why we're first and foremost, a data company, more than anything else. But here's the thing, when he talked to me about it, I said, you know, they're missing one other thing, which is the inclination. And the only time a business really wants to understand themselves at that level is when they're asking for money from someone outside of the organization. So we looked at the lending market and the numbers are quite staggering. If you believe Business Insider, digital lending globally is a $5 trillion opportunity. I, would, I keep looking at Business Insider to see what they're going to say based on what's happening now. But Yahoo Finance, another very trusted source, is saying that it's growing in the U.S. 19% cumul cumulatively. That is a hard word to say. Uh, <laughs> so we, we really tacked on our wagon to that. But we are a data company first. We are solving one part of the puzzle that others have not solved. And this ties into the other part of your question, which is, what is the AI really? I don't know. Did you guys see the John Oliver? Um, there was a broadcast about blockchain fruit juice company. It's a fruit no, juice. No, no. And it, it, when they. There's so much there. <laughs> well, they named themselves blockchain fruit juice or something like that. And the stock price went up. So <laughs> it's fruit juice. It's not blockchain. <laughs> but, oh you know, there's no regulator for that. Now. But it might be just as technically useful as actual blockchain. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, no, I am not. I'm not going to. You're not going there. <laughs> well, I was. So I was at Bank Innovation Ignite again, very timely because it was when Seattle, with one case at the time, declared a state of emergency, and the conference shrunk down to 150 people. So you got to know people a lot better. And I was on a panel about fintech and financial institution partnerships, which was supposed to be about. You've been part of four accelerators. What have you learned about getting to market and turned into what is AI and oh, no. they're going to buy all the banks, which I know stock prices are down, but Boss Insights is not buying a bank next week. Right. Anyway, I, one person said AI is two to three times the return for the investor. I beg to differ. It has to do with what you're doing with the AI. Thus far, every time Boston Sites has put AI into the marketplace, and our first report was last year on International Women's Day, we have it verified. So we'll do something, but someone outside of our organization is looking at it and, and saying to us, okay, this is accurate. We feel that we can stand behind these results. In this case, it was a 30-year data science professor and his research lab of PhDs, PhD candidates, and master's students that were looking at what we did before we ever said, hey, data can help you predict things in the equity market, in the private equity market. So 
so that's the first thing. But if you're going to have AI, if you're going to create predictions on how businesses will do, you better have the best input data that you could possibly get, which is why we didn't build connectors to financial software. We built it to financials, operations, management team. We built what is the global leading number of API integrations to private companies for their own operational services. That is the key differentiator that Boss Insights has, and that's why we think our predictions will be stronger. So Karen, let's take a step back, especially for those in our audience who might not be too familiar with the inner workings of the financial yeah. system and lending. Talk a little bit about your client base and how does it work? So the process of adoption of Boss Insights solution, how does it work? If I am your customer, who am I and how does the process take place? Sure. And would it help to give just a quick overview of lending yes. itself? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, so this is, and this, I'm going to geek out, I swear, but I'm not going to tech term you, I promise. I've been schooled. Um, lending was built on a model that where the people who had the money looked at the numbers, meaning show me how much your sales are, show me how much you had after all of your expenses. But that's not really why they made the decision to give you money. They did it on something called collateral, which is show me the building that you can mortgage and give me the money back if things go, because maybe COVID is around the corner or maybe there's something else coming around the corner. So show me that. Show me a piece of equipment that we could sell in a fire sale. And because lending was built on a collateralized model, every decision about lending was stacked on that. So when they're looking at your financial statements, it's really based on a second way out for the bank, the credit union, the alternative lender. Here's the thing. In first world countries, we've been moving to a service-based industry. So there are no pieces of equipment. There is fewer and fewer pieces of real estate. And banks are struggling because they are highly regulated and they have to do things properly. We all see what happens when that goes wrong. Uh, for those of us who are around, oh gosh, 12 years ago now, are we all getting old? But the problem is... <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because you're the youngest of the three of us, huh? Am I? <laughs> by That's far. Not by far. By a lot. By far. <laughs> my hand, listeners, my hand is in the air because that is often not true anymore. And I miss it. I tell you, I miss it. Another way to say that you're, you're the least at risk for contracting a bad case of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pick up stuff from my kids' school today. I showed up with a mask. Everybody looked at me like I was nuts. Anyway, so here we are. And they were so lovely. The, but anyway, so, so here we are in a, in a post-collateral model. We don't have collateral. So what are we going to do? What are banks to do? And Boss Insights is saying that data will take the place of collateral. It is the only possible way to take the place of collateral. We cannot take slices of people's brains and sell them on the market. That hasn't been sorted out. We're gonna to have to understand our client better. And do you know what happens? You know the magical opportunity that happens when you do understand your client better? You can become their real partner. In 2010, when I was at a bank, I was told, you are the financial partner of your business clients. What hogwash. We would meet them in commercial once a year, and we would ask them these wooden questions about how they were growing. And in small and medium business, you would meet them maybe. But here you have the opportunity to proactively know what a business is gonna do. 
through their data and then say, hey, I can save you money here. Oh, you know, I see you're growing to 10 people. You, you know, the biggest risk for employee leaving, employees leaving you is if you don't offer them a group plan, here's the way to do that cost effectively. These are the, these are the special magical opportunities that happen when a bank is actually in the position to understand their business proactively, their business client proactively. So it all starts from the lenders having the challenge to meet their clients' needs. And they have to meet their clients' needs proactively because not only is big tech giving us that experience on the consumer level, but big tech is now entering the lending market. From that, we have the way to give that, op that functionality to any lender in eight weeks. So you don't have to be Amazon. You could just go and get Boss Insights. That sounded salesy. I didn't. Sorry. But it's very important also because uh, the, uh, as you're explaining it now, Karen, your clients, uh, the bulk of your clients at this stage is lenders, banks, uh, credit unions, financial institutions. So in this sense, uh, you are at this stage different from a number of other fintech companies which uh, try to actually compete with the traditional lenders. At this stage, you are not directly competing with them. You are serving them. Is that fair? That's absolutely fair. We, we see, and even the ones competing with them, the lenders, there are 15,000 financial institutions in the US and a lot of them are happy to offset those lower end loans. But we're saying to the financial institutions, you don't need to do that. You can have this functionality yourself. And the AI piece comes in a year or two down the road where you have enough data that you could look at modeling to see, are these decisions you're making predictively correct? You could really see those points. We have no, we're not after a bank charter. We're not after lending. We are simply there to accelerate what is now being done manually. I mean, we all used to use checks since we're all old folks here. We all used to use <laughs> checks, right? Now we're paying with our phones. I'm saying lending can be no different. So talk a little bit about a bit more about this, Karen. The, you brought it up already at the beginning, but uh, once uh, a financial institution adopts the Boss Insights platform, how does it get access? You were explaining that the value proposition or part of the value proposition is exactly the ease through which the institution can then get access to the relevant financial data of the company asking for credit. Yeah. Talk a bit about this. Okay. So, so if we're on the faster, cheaper side, which, cause there's two sides to it, right? There's the faster and cheaper, and then there's the better. And there are two separate solutions, but Boss Insights is like Lego. Take what you like, leave what you don't. So if we're talking about the faster and the cheaper, what would happen is a financial institution would come to us and say, here's our model. First, they'd say, you're never allowed to speak about it. So that would get signed. They, they put that ironclad in there. Here's our model. Here's what's going well. And here's what's really causing us problems. And if we were genies, here's what we would want in place. And then we say, okay, give us eight weeks and you're going to have it. And it really is as simple as that. We take a look at what information do you want from accounting software? What information do you want to verify on your business borrowers outside of accounting software? Is it available on a cloud-based system? If it is, chances are we have an API. API is, um, 
if you have an accounting software and if you have a central hub and you put a dotted line in between those, API is a fancy word for the dotted line. Boss Insights is the dotted lines. That is the fancy way to say it, <laughs> the, you know, or the pipeline. So that's what we're doing. We're translating the current credit model, not touching the process whatsoever, just making it faster to pull the data and turn it into an actionable item. And we are sitting within the bank software. So we, it is not something where the credit unions clients, the bank's clients, the alternative lenders clients have to go to a boss insight system. They will experience it in one single sign on way. So that's how the sign up process goes. Then we have, once we onboard after eight weeks, what they'll do is they'll divert their clients instead of saying, oh, you're pre-approved for $350,000. Can you please send me this information by email, which is what is happening now? They'll simply get a- That's a digital record, right? That's a digital, <laughs> absolutely. It's, and it's, it's all, see, techies like to talk about structured and unstructured data. And think of structured data like an Excel sheet. You can take eight and divide it by two automatically in Excel, but you can't take, um, I don't know, piece of equipment and divide it by use for that equipment. That's unstructured. Right. What we've done is we basically made it so everything can be pulled and done by machines, not by humans. So what are humans going to be doing? They're focusing on strategy and relationship. Everything is diverted. Every manual piece of labor is diverted to a machine. That is the nuts and bolts of, of what we've done here. Um, so so does, that, does that mean, so are you providing the lending institutions with new ways? I mean, so I understand you're connecting them to new data and you're connecting them faster to data they already had. Are you helping them, are you providing algorithms or analytical tools in some way to help them dissect this data and decode it and figure out what to actually look for? Or are you just saying, here's all this data, you know, use the same sets of, of analytical devices that you had been using before? So under the faster and cheaper, we are automating what information they're already collecting. Under the better, we're collecting new information outside of their credit model. And we are going to use that data to show, is it the right are these decisions you're making about what information you're collecting actually showing to be correct based on the activities and behaviors of your borrowers? So, so that's the better side. So in the, the conservative culture of banking, how difficult is it to get the bankers to agree that this is this new way or new pool of data that you can show them is actually worth their while? If they're used to doing only A, B, and C and you show them there's D through Z, that's a really astute question. When I say we have better, um, it's really interesting. Every time I'm onboarding or talking with a potential sale, they 100% of the time ask me what we think about credit processes. But that's them asking me. If I were to say, I have a better way to run your credit processes, they would say, oh, you are so adorable. <laughs> I have to go. I'll call you next week, I swear. <laughs> So we're not using the data. We're not actually saying that in our sales pitch. What we're saying is, I'm going to make the big line for commercial, um, for commercial departments is that a $25 million loan costs the same to operate and underwrite as it does 
a $250,000 loan. But because lenders are earning a percentage of the loan, the earnings for a large facility are so much greater and they want to shrink that cost center down. So it's the faster and the cheaper that I'm going with in terms of we'll collect information for decisioning. I'm not touching the credit model. The better side, you're right. I don't say we have better credit underwriting for you because I already told you how they'll respond. I know because it's happened. But here's, <laughs> here's where we do present a real value add. Lending in general is becoming quite transactional. And what lenders are after is a true relationship, a service-oriented relationship. And there are other products to be had besides the loan, right? I'm a small and medium business, and up until the current state of affairs, I was going to be in five markets in the next two months. Do you think any bank approached me for foreign exchange activities? No, I'm using a fintech for that, right? And we have 10 people. Well, we have nine people, so just on the cusp. And no one's approaching me for group solutions. It seems like a wasted opportunity. Last year, we said every, there are 22% of the financial institutions in the US that have the ideal loan to deposit ratio. And we have sorted out, we've done an immense amount of modeling work, sorry, geeky. And we have sorted out how to tie loans to deposits coming in so that when you bring a new loan to the table, you're also bringing in the deposits. In 2020, as interest rates are going down in the middle of every other huge global shift we're happening right now, that's happening right now, we are tying it to fee-based services. So this better, this data that's better is not about necessarily just improving the loan. It is that, but it's also, would you like to know when your client is going to need more payment services, when they're going to need more deposit services for an exchange treasury? That's what this information will give you. You're not waiting until they're using a competitor and then selling them that you're better. You're approaching them and saying, hey, I could save you money here. That really creates that partnership. That's the better side right now. Hi there, M4 Edge listeners. We wanted to let you know about a new venture Marco and I are launching that we're quite excited about. We're calling it the M4 Strategy Garage. It's a strategic advisory service aimed at startups in their growth phase. Depending on how you've raised money and how you've grown, that could mean companies who've just received the Series A funding, company thinking about raising Series B funding, or even later. The point is that the Strategy Garage is for companies who, perhaps for the first time, have to do some serious thinking about their future market a year or two, or even five or ten down the road. Maybe you have a chief strategy officer, but her time is taken up by tactical work. Or more likely, you don't have a CSO yet, or you're just perpetually short-staffed. Or perhaps you don't have the proper skill set for strategy in interpreting your company's macroeconomic context. That's where we come in. So what is the Strategy Garage? It's a series of different strategy offerings available individually or bundled, priced for a startup's budget. For example, our roadside assistance will help you understand how macroeconomic news might affect your market. Our alignment check will help make sure your C-suite is all focusing on the right issues in a consistent manner. Our tune-up and rebuild can help you improve your strategy or build it from scratch. And our test drive will help you do rigorous scenario planning. We'll use our experience of leading innovation strategy for some very large and established organizations, combined with our experience working with startups to help your startup grow. If you're a startup CEO, CFO, COO, 
and would like to learn more or a VC or other funder and know a company that can use our services, please reach out. Send an email to strategygarage at m4edge.com. That's strategygarage, one word, at m, the number four, edge.com. You also had, I noticed on your on your website, you know, some of the services, some of the things you label your services as mm-hmm. are, they're, they're familiar sounding and they, they seem traditional. On the other hand, there are a few that seem a little bit less traditional. So your, your founding, uh, founder um, matching, um, I forget what the other one was that was, that was tacked specifically to, to startups, maybe in investor and startup matching, something like that. So tell us, tell us how that works. Tell us what that's about. Oh. First of all, thank you for looking at the website so much. <laughs> we accept any and all feedback on things that look great or don't. We're changing it. Actually, we're going to change it again in about a week. So we're always, you know, with all the meetings coming in with things. Um, we, we call this matching software. And the challenge we have is that matching software actually exists. Every time people have gone to conferences or events, they have an app that has matching software. The apps are wonderful. The matching software I take issue with. What you have is really a directory. Again, to use an outdated term, think, think like, well, Yelp is not outdated, but think like the yellow pages. You know, you're, you're looking at something. If I search every banker, that's what you get. What we've created is with, with an algorithm, you can give a questionnaire to people going to events, or you can give a questionnaire to people who are just qualifying their leads. And you can weight those answers. So we've done it in a two-way matching system and an algorithmic approach and a weighted approach, which I think this is getting a little technical. But the bottom line is that it is, if you think of most matching systems out there as a Tinder dating approach to finding business meetings, so you have an endless series of not even first dates, but really just Tinder coffee meets, we're moving things to second dates. It is a much more targeted, and if you are going to connect with somebody, they have connected with you right back. And it's based on very specific questions. So we launched this first for investors and startups, but it really is a version of the lead qualification system that we have with lenders. It's the same technology, just marketed in a different way. That's interesting. The, does, the case, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Does, does, it, does it bring in is it a totally separate client base or are you using it as a funnel to bring in sort of clients into the lender to SME pipeline? At first, and this is true of any kind of FinTech, at first we said, this is, this is technical in nature, right? So it could be offered for anyone in private capital, lender or investor. It was confusing for the ecosystem when we went out and said, we're an investor tool. It, it seems like you have to sort of stake your claim. What are you? Mm-hmm. And what we are is a data-driven platform that will provide transparency in private markets, the same transparency that lenders or investors would want with public companies. That's who we are. We're empowering the financiers of the world to empower the vision of all the business owners. But it is very confusing and the use cases are slightly different. If you're an investor, you'll be out there scanning PitchBook or Crunchbase for tens of thousands of names. And you really just need a way to streamline that qualification so the analyst that you've hired will live to see the sunlight one day, right? That's the use case. With lenders, what it is is that 
the chance of meeting a business and having them get approved for a loan is very low. 28% approval for small and medium business and 60% approval for commercial. Hmm. And even the companies that are approved, they're not getting all of their financing needs met and it's taking months to get their money. So that's not a great system. We've taken that qualification and we've added personalization to it without any human capital investment from the lender. So this matching that you saw on the website is exactly the same tech as the lead qualification, but packaged differently. Got it. Interesting. Great. 40. My bad. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. And we also like the geeky and technical part of it. It's definitely a, a, an important segment of our audience, which just goes for it. So don't, don't feel oh. shy. Call <laughs> me a geek. I'll be happy. Call me normal. We got problems. <laughs> Karen, you, you were explaining earlier how the, uh, your solutions allow lenders to build a better relationship with their customers. It's not just about uh, figuring out a better way of selecting uh, the, the criteria for the lending process, but also anticipating the further needs of their customers based on the customer's own data. So will they need FX services? Will they need other kinds of services? So the question becomes, uh, is there a value here that you can offer or, or already offer to the businesses, to the borrowers themselves? So the first version of Boss Insights was made for the borrowers themselves. The, the tool as it exists today does something that most of our competitors don't do, which is create these deep level insights that the borrower can see, deeper than even the lender can see. So by using us, the lender is offering the borrower something unique. We can sell directly to borrowers. It's not like the tech wouldn't allow it. We just haven't done it because we're really not looking to earn money on the backs of the borrowers. We're looking to earn a percentage of the revenues coming in for the lenders instead. We're, we're trying to align ourselves with what makes an economy grow. And so, yeah, we do have the tool and if borrowers wanted it, they could access it and we do it for a very nominal rate so they wouldn't have to think too much about it. But it just hasn't been how we've gone to market. We see too many businesses trying to um, earn on the backs of people who are trying to just stay afloat. And that's why we made this type of decision. Here's what we're providing to the borrowers right now that they don't have. Uh, and we do it again through our lender relationships. When you're asked to send information by email, you have no control over where it goes. But here you have a system that is a secured system, meaning that as a borrower, you control down to the email address who has viewed it, who has seen it. You also see the insights yourself, so you're not just sending information out, waiting for the loan approval to come or not. You can actually see your metrics and how they look to the, the people making the choices about you. So, so it's, it, it's also more convenient. So with that, we feel that we are respecting the borrower. We try to build a tool that would respect both sides of the marketplace. And, uh, we took that approach in 2017 when no one was chatting about that. It's one of the things we're proud of. Well, you know, one of the things you see um, in the personal finance world is people taking actions to improve their credit scores, right? You know, that's sort of a common thing people are beginning to be aware of since 2008, 2009, that they yeah. have a credit score that actually matters. And so they do a few things. And I'm wondering if you foresee a case where... Um, small and medium businesses begin to understand the you know, however many, however many things your, your gazillion APIs are tracking and begin to um, change their own, their own 
business patterns um, to improve those scores or however you're rating them. I would love it if that were true. And I will tell you, we were at Finnovate in New York in the fall and there was- a I saw the video of you. Yeah, I walked on stage, I was like, what's up New York? New York said, you're here, <laughs> there will be no theatrics. <laughs> so um, I, you know, after that presentation, when I might've, you know, nagged a little bit the credit bureau process right now, some of the credit bureaus came up and said, we would like you to comment and be a part and advise huh. on what we're doing. That's and awesome. Boston Sites would like nothing more. Now, these companies are very big and they move very slowly and we're still in discussions. And I hope actually when we have a debrief in a couple months, I'll be able to tell you what we've done there. But we'd love nothing more than to add actual merit-based information into this process. Not you keep your credit card open longer, you have a better credit score. That's not merit-based. If you have operations and you're setting milestones and you're meeting them, or if you're setting internal just processes and achieving those internal processes, that's merit-based, right? Yeah. So that's what we want to be tracking. We want redundancy. Again, another tech term, if I could just, I'm really going to establish myself here. Um, <laughs> We, we really just want to be looking at how do we really value businesses today? What are they worth? They're going to be the economic engine of the future. That is, that's not boss insight saying that. That's just conventional wisdom, right? So it, it behooves the, the whole industry to band together to figure out how do we value these millions? There's 8 million businesses who fit into this category. How are we going to value them? Hmm. That's, that's sort of what we're, at, we're trying to solve at the moment. Our astute um, American U.S. listeners may have noted, noted that you said process a few times. And yeah. so you're, you're Canadian. And I, I want to know if, there's, if you see a difference in the way banks are, are, are treating you if you're, um, if you're dealing with U.S. bank or Canadian bank. Do you mean as a fintech or as a borrower? Uh, well, I meant as a borrower, but either. Okay. As a borrower, I couldn't tell you because we haven't dealt with the U.S. banks as a business borrower. Um, one thing I will say about, we're, all, we're both speaking, for the most part, <laughs> the same language. How should I have said it in, in the American? Well, you said it's funny because you said process at one, at one juncture there, wow. but you said process several times. I'm and sorry. Give you a... <laughs> sorry. I, yeah, no, it, it's... Listen... We, we say the word bank. In Canada, you mean oligopoly. In the US, you mean competition. We are experiencing similar regulatory environments. If we compare us to the economy that might be kind of similar to us in the UK, they have eight large banks. They have a couple hundred others, but they have incredible regulation. Their regulators will consider competition and it's a national regulator, right? And I'm not, for all the regulators out there, I'm not making any, I'm not saying anything, okay? But here in Canada, we have an oligopoly, which means things tend to move slower. That's the nature of competition. In the US, we have a competitive environment. There's also a larger economy. So you have things in the States that you don't have in Canada. You have programs already in place to get software adopted and to bring decision makers in the room. 
it's actually something I was chatting about with some of the politicians in Toronto and in Canada <laughs> um, before everything that's going down now was going down, that we should take a page from the incredible things the States is doing. There are some cities particularly, Boston is one of them, where there is just so much support to get a fintech tool adopted in market, right? I, I feel that in lieu of the best possible regulatory environment, we're dealing with a lot of alternative lenders that are willing to take more risks and can get businesses funded. But there's no doubt, there's no bones about it. This, this market is underserved. And that's why the growth rate is so high. It's predicted to be so high because the market is entirely underserved. So I don't, the reason we set Boston Insights up not to be a lender is because we did not want any financial institution to wonder if we were trying to partner with them for a short while and then take their lunch. That's not what we're out to do. We are out to solve the data issue, to be experts and specialists in data so that the lenders can be experts and specialists in lending and in regulation. And, and so I think on that front, that's where the industry has to move to. More secure partnerships that lead to growth for both people in the arrangement. Did that answer your question or did I kind of go off again on the tangent? Um. I would say you answered it and then you went off. I wouldn't call it a tangent, but another useful point. How's that? <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, I, I'm so, I don't know if every fintech entrepreneur is feeling this way, but I feel so impassioned by this because I know that it's really important to get right if we're going to support the economy of the future. Yeah. So that's what makes me get up every day, even on a day where we're all getting up and working from home. So. Right, right, right. right. And, and you know, kind of building on this, let me just, not a question, but a couple of comments and then see your reaction. Because uh, I was thinking again about, you were mentioning the role of regulators and uh, the difference of financial systems in different countries. Uh, and I was thinking again of what we're seeing right in these days. And uh, even in normal circumstances, uh, regulators are trying to strike a balance between making sure that the financial institutions remain sound and safe so we don't have another global financial crisis but at the same time that the flow of credit goes as smoothly as possible financial institutions on their own part have the same problem they want to make sure that they maintain their prudential ratios where they should be but they also want to give money out in lending in a way that gives them a good return and has a relatively managed risk. And then you get in situations like the current one where the priority really becomes, uh, both from the point of view of regulators and financial institutions, you are worried about a temporary, hopefully a short temporary shock to the economy. And the yeah. concern becomes, uh, if I have businesses out there who, which are long-term viable, but are going to be feeling the pressure in the short term for a couple of months because of social distances, because of problems in the supply chain. How can I help them? And importantly, how can I, in a situation like this, make the difference? How can I understand the, here is a business that has a temporary problem, but has solid fundamentals. Here instead is another business that you know, has a more structural problem. It's in difficulty not because of a temporary shock. So it seems to me that uh, making progress on technologies like yours and making the system more transparent, having better use of information, and making the process faster, cheaper, and better actually becomes uh, 
more and more important as we realize that uh, shocks like the one we're experiencing now, whether it's a health shock or a global trade shock, will likely not be the last one. So it seems to me there is a case to be made for uh, for looking at what you're doing as a structural improvement to the financial system, which we realize today is really important. Am I saying something stupid? Would you take, would you have a different perspective on it? And I see Michael smiling, saying, of course, you're always saying stupid stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're saying something wise. And I wish, I don't think any of us started working thinking that we were going to have an endless array of shocks to the system. But this isn't the first, um, and it's not going to be the last, and we're going into a very new kind of normal, right? If we look at all the shocks that have happened over the last 10 years, you can see that things are just different than they were when I was growing up. It just didn't, there weren't, we didn't have this many things to deal with on a day-to-day basis, and it's overwhelming. It's, it's. I, there, I don't think there's another word for it. When you were talking, I couldn't help but try and, I, I don't know if you guys are like this, but I always try and st- step right into problem solving mode, right? So how are we going to manage projections? I, I, I do that. Marco is more of a problem maker. but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so let's, you know, problem solving, problem making, it's two sides of the same coin. If we want to see if a business is viable, at least in the short term, where they need a little bit of a bump, right? They need a little bit of a a supporting, let's say a a bump to their operating line or whatnot. Why not look at their CRM information and see what sales they have in the next couple quarters? Why not look at their third-party payments information, that's the closest to verified data, to see what's coming in, right? We do have to make prudent decisions, and I think we all like to say things about regulators, but we, we should be glad they're there because <laughs> otherwise we would have a lot, the, the problems we would be having would be a lot larger. We, we do need to respect the fact that, that financial institutions are still operating within this mandate. So, so let's look at what information we can provide to them to help them support the decisions they're making. At the moment, most of the decisions from the FIs have been, we're gonna offer you interest-free loans. That's them taking a hit. I, I think it should turn into more of a symbiotic conversation where they can see more about their borrower and they can make a decision based on where the borrower is sitting. So that's, that's what, and, and I'm trying to do the same thing. It, we were trying to figure out, can Boss Insights offer our qualification systems for free to people so they could validate at least what opportunities. And then when they go into due diligence, then, you know, I'm, we're trying to sort it out ourselves. It's moment to moment here, but the financial institutions, hopefully there's enough people here with level heads to make responsible choices as we go into the next month. It's, it's an industry that has some of those people. So that's what we're looking for. Right. So this is sort of a good a good transition, I think, into the more uh, philosophical part of our of our discussion. Um, so, you know, we know I know that you're an AI optimist. Um, <laughs> we we know that bias in AI is something that we have to guard against, and you know, in banking in particular, the possibility of embedding bias, either unconscious or not, 
um, in lending decisions. That's it's a real danger. Um, and we know that the impenetrability of some AIs exacerbate that presence of bias. So tell us how you think about that, how it works into what you guys at Boston say, how you structure your, your the AI offerings. Offer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, well, the first part of the offering is just to speed things up, which doesn't include AI, right? This is just a gathering of information. The AI component comes in when we're looking at all the loans that are on a portfolio. You can see them in real time. You can see which clients have products they should be uh, considering so the relationship manager could go in. And then you see the risks. So let's go into that part a little bit. Let's go into the risks. Because right now, what we have are credit models that are based on papers that are delivered by operations like a year or two before, not based on real-time decisioning. It can get quite detailed. So how do you control against that when you're going to say, now we see a machine saying that companies that, I don't know, have three people sitting in one office should not be you know, lent money to. The enemy, or the anecdote, I should say, the anecdote of bias is iteration. You don't count on one AI model ever to make a decision. You always look back at how a decision was made, and you look into the assumptions that were made, and you, you basically tear apart the conclusion before you ever act on the conclusion, right? When you're building your AI models, you want to keep into account I think there were five or six different things that we suggested in the talk. One of it is you want to build it for, in our case, the borrower and the lender. You don't want to only look at the lender's interest, but you also want to look at the borrower's interest. Doing that means that you're building a model from, start, from the scratch, from the starting point, that will look into everybody's interests. And if you are building it in a way to be equal, and looking at the results and iterating on it, you then remove bias over time. But when people talk about bias in AI, I think they forget that there's bias in regular life too. Oh no, I, I, I don't think so. I think, I think it's that they're worried that the regular life bias gets encoded into the AI and then it gives you the, the false sense of... Um, because it's in, because it's numerical instead of emotional, it gives you a false sense of un, of an unbiased um, outcome. Yeah, there's no such thing as an unbiased outcome with human beings. We haven't evolved to that state just yet. What we can do is recognize that there are weaknesses in ourselves, and we can improve upon them. Which I think most people who are either entrepreneurs, meaning they're trying to move a huge organization forward from the inside or entrepreneurs trying to hustle on the outside. These are people who are really trying to make things better. We are, we are the ones who like to live on the bleeding edge to make things better. So that should be it. That really, it, somebody who is creating rules on AI, they said, I'm gonna go with the medical community as the first rule, first do no harm. So you see left on its own, just like, I mean, Lord of the Flies, children left on their own aren't so great either, right? We, we want to, we just want to know that this is new and it is scary for a lot of things. Change is scary. So you put things in place to make it less so. Um, the, the example I used in, in the talk from a while back was people thought electricity was going to come out of the wall and kill you, which sounds funny now. 
electricity can kill you, but it's not coming out of the wall to kill you. So we have, God, if I know, if I'm using this example, I should know more about electricity, but we have things in place so that when you touch the sockets in the wall, you're not getting electrocuted. That is what we have to do when we build our AI. Just, just, a, just a PSA, do not stick your finger into the socket. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, and that's coming straight from Karen Moynihan at Boss Insights, folks. That's, it, it's how we're doing our AI. So we got it verified. And usually people, if, you know what? If you're looking at AI and you ask the question to the person who's bringing you the AI, is it verified? And they say, what do you mean? run, run for the hills. If they have not verified it by somebody outside of their company, this is not an AI model you should adopt. That would be the number one. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I know we're running out of time and rather than... Uh, oh my God, we getting deeper, I know, I know, I know. But you know, rather than getting deeper into the AI discussion where I, I, I was glad to leave you to the pushing back against Michael's dystopian pessimism, I'm interested, <laughs> I'm, I'm more interested as, as a closing note on, uh, given your perspective on AI, your perspective on uh, the lending market, everything we've been discussing so far, yeah. look ahead 20 years what does the financial market, the lending market look like? Anything, everything we're looking at now, traditional banking, venture funding, is it still there? Has it disappeared? What's the lending market going to look like? Oh, gosh. Okay, I will answer this question. But first, I'm going to ask a question. Do you guys look forward 20 years anymore? I honestly don't. I actually looking forward 20 years is the only thing that keeps me sane and alive. So yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'm a responsible saver, I swear. But in general, things change so quickly. The more things change, though, the more they stay the same. So there's going to be a lot about our financial services industry that I think will be the same. Things that I think will be very, very different is that we will have moved to a digital process, right? By then, it will either be through Boss Insights or through other offerings. That's just kind of a foregone conclusion. For the last 10 years, it's been happening and it will continue to happen. There will be a lot of uh, consolidation in the industry because some people are going to make it and some people are not. And that's true for the financial institutions. It's also true for the fintechs. There is a lot of noise right now and I don't think people can really make sense of what's going on. I know I'm having a challenge. I have a couple digest news <laughs> news things I read, but really it's very hard. Human beings were built to keep seven facts in their head in their short-term memory at any one time. And a year ago, somebody said that we have 100,000 things flying at us on a, any given day. We're not built to manage this who's, amount. Of who's it. the guy that counted? I know. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I, have you heard of this thing called the Enneagram test? No. Oh my God. It's nine personality archetypes and there are things that you wouldn't put together. And I'm a number four, which at a high level is you zag where others zig. Number fives are, I need to show verifiable information before I buy anything someone's saying, or I'm going to challenge it. And you, my friend, remind me of all the techies at Boss Insights who are all number fives. I mean, you could literally be saying the sky is blue and they'd say, I'd like to see the report on that. <laughs> so, it's, I, was, um, I, was, I wasn't doubting that it was 100,000. I was just trying to figure out who's the schmo that figured that out. 
Taken at the heart. You can only take seven seven facts in your head. Who's the guy that's at one, two, three? That's fair. That you can buy. But no, I guess the point is, is that we are, we are at a forefront of, oh my God, there's so much to know. And I have no capability to understand it all. So people are making, people are animals, right? They are taking the information in. They are making the decisions, the best decisions they can at the moment. And that does not coincide with a regulated, slow-moving industry. So I think what's going to be really interesting is to see what happens going forward in an industry that is regulated and for good reason. So that's, that's what I would like to understand more of um, as maybe not the next 20 years come by, but maybe the next five years. Will we move to a, nas- a national strategy? Will we include competition? Is that the right way to go? These are the questions that I think we have to answer so that the people who are in this industry know how best to serve it. Again, an answer, but a <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a soothsayer. I, yeah. I do think it's really telling that if you do need money, if you Google right now alternative lenders, you'll see not just a list of alternative lenders, but images that people have put together of all the logos of alternative lenders in the absence of a regulated industry being able to serve its members, the industry is serving itself. So we do, I think that regulation is incredibly important and we have to figure out there are three people in, well, there's really four, but there are the regulators, there's the financial institutions, there's the alternative lenders and the borrowers and the fintechs. There are five people that we have to associate in the, you know, there's a lot of cooks in this kitchen. And we're going to have to figure out how everybody partners well in order to succeed. I think you, you've made a very impo- important point, Karen. And the, the thing that worries me is that the regulators, even though they play a fundamental role, they usually catch up to something new after something has gone wrong. So we'll probably see that our 20 years will probably include another financial crisis different from what we've already seen. But it's going to be very, very interesting to see how the, the various players who are indicating play together and how the system settles. Well, maybe we start a Slack channel for ideas. <laughs> I, I've been telling everyone who that runs... That sounds it, dystopian. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I told any, everyone I know who runs regulatory associations that they should get a regulator from each of these three geographies into a room together to workshop it. There's lessons learned that everybody could just share together and, and we would all be better for it, truly. So... Just a thought. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your taking the time. Thank you so uh, much for your questions. This was great. (laughs) Thanks so much and all All the best for the future. Okay. For the next uh, couple of months. Stay safe, guys. Stay healthy. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks to the folks over at Podblade for editing this episode. Podblade is an affordable podcast editing service focused on making podcasting more accessible by offering all-in-one podcast editing, starting at just $20 per episode. We learned the hard way that audio editing is one of the most time-consuming parts of the podcasting process. That's why we're now using Podblade to edit our shows. Check them out at podblade.com. That's podblade.com.